Father, we lift up your name this morning. We just want to declare that you are holy. There is no one like you. And so, Lord, we come together now. We humble ourselves under your word. We humble ourselves under your teaching, under your spirit. Father, come and have your way. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, guys. You can take a seat as well. So our theme is look, as uh, Emily or John said earlier. And last week we had our Vision Sunday. We brought our dreams and our plans and our visions to God. And as John said, if you weren't here last Sunday, there's still a chance for you to do that. Any day is a good day to submit your plans and dreams to God. In fact, every day is probably a good day. That's a good habit to get into, right? So... We did that last Sunday. That was a momentous occasion for us together as a group. What do we do now? Do we just sit back and put our feet up and wait for God to do whatever God's going to do? Or are we going to get on with walking the path that God lays out in front of us as we wait for God to act, as we look for God to act? So this morning I want to ask, what path are you on? Where is your path going? Are you looking where you're going? The idea of life as a path, it really resonates with us. It's why it keeps coming up all the time in literature and poems and songs and things like that. We have this innate sense inside us, it's intuitive, that life is supposed to be getting somewhere. There's supposed to be a destination that we're heading for. Life isn't supposed to be just an aimless wandering around. Everybody senses that deep inside. But what path are we actually walking? What is our destination that we're trying to get to? I'm going to be 40 years old this year. (laughs) Is that a reason to celebrate? Yeah, probably, right? I think so. (laughs) And uh, there's a bit of a cliché in our society, right, about men who get into their 40s, that they're probably due for a midlife crisis, right? Yeah, I've had it. There's a new baby, yeah. I mean, you've got a guy, he's set out on a path in life, and he gets to his, you know, 40s, 50, whatever, and he looks around and he sees nothing but dead ends. He looks at his career and he sees that it hasn't got him to the destination that he was trying to get to when he set out. He looks at his marriage and he sees a dead end there. It hasn't got him to the destination where he's trying to get to. He looks at his body, which started out as a Ferrari and now looks more like a station wagon. <laughs> and he just sees dead ends all around him. I mean, it's, it's almost comical because it is such a cliche. And so what does he do? He says, well, I'm going to start again. I'm going to start down a new path. I'm going to get a new career. I'm going to get a new wife. I'm going to get a new family. And by the way, the cliche is about men. I'm sure this happens just as much to women. Probably in decades past, men have had more power and autonomy to actually do something about it. But we're probably going to see this happening a lot more with women. They probably express it in different ways. But the underlying thing is the same. That the path that I've set out on hasn't got me to where I'm going to go, so I'm going to start a new path. But of course, 
it's foolishness. It's going to fail because repeating exactly the same thing isn't going to result in a different outcome. What we need is some wisdom about the paths that we walk on in life. So let's turn to the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 7, this is during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is picking up on a theme here which would have been very familiar to his Jewish hearers. It wasn't a new idea, this idea of two paths. We find it in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and especially in the book of Proverbs. And actually, uh, what Emily was talking about earlier just feeds right into this. Because the major theme of the book of Proverbs is that there are two paths that you can choose. And in Proverbs, often they're given different names, sometimes called the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness, sometimes called the straight path and the crooked path. Sometimes, as Jesus picks up here, called the path that leads to life and the path that leads to destruction. Let me give you an example from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They're robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. When I was a kid, I used to watch a movie. Shane actually mentioned about having VHS tapes, so some of you younger ones might not understand this, but it used to be in the olden days that families had a collection of VHS tapes And that was what you watched, basically. You just watched the same things over and over again. And one of the movies that we had in our house was a movie called The Labyrinth. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a Jim Henson movie, so it's kind of like The Muppets, but a little bit weirder and a little bit darker, probably. It's about this girl, this teenage girl, Sarah, and her baby brother gets kidnapped by the Goblin King. And to find him, to rescue him, she has to make her way through this labyrinth, this giant maze, which is full of weird creatures and deathly traps and all sorts of things like this. And so she's moving through this labyrinth and she comes at one point to two doors. There's two doors in front of her and she's told by the doorkeepers that one of these doors leads to the way through the labyrinth. She can get to where she's trying to go, rescue her brother, The other door leads to certain death. And she doesn't know which door is which, though. She can only choose one door. And she has to answer a riddle in order to get through and find out which which door is the way she's got to go. The choice that we get to make in life 
is every bit as real as the choice she was making there. There's two paths in front of us, says Jesus. And we don't have to solve a riddle to get through them, but Jesus does give us this sort of strange uh, statement here about a small gate and a narrow path. What is that all about? Does walking the narrow path mean being narrow-minded? I mean, have you, have you heard this criticism of Christians before? You Christians are so narrow-minded. You're always, you know, harping on about your rules and your regulations and your traditions and things like that. You're so narrow-minded. And in a way, it's a fair criticism because as Christians, let's face it, sometimes we are too concerned with our rules and traditions and things. We have been throughout the history of the church. But is that what it means to walk the narrow path, to confine ourselves to walking within certain boundaries, certain rules? Traditions can be very good things. Traditions are things that we create to help us remember, things that we create to help us gather together at certain times, to celebrate, whatever. They can be very good things. They're usually created with great intentions to serve a group of people or maybe just one individual even. But when our traditions become more important to us than the people that they were created to serve, then we have wandered off the narrow path. This was exactly the sin of the Pharisees that Jesus just got stuck into them for time and time again. For putting their traditions which were very well-intentioned, designed to honour God, designed to help other people to live live a life that honours God, but they put their traditions above people. And Jesus absolutely savages them for it. One time he's in a, a place where there's a crippled man and it's the Sabbath. So, you know, the, the law says... On the Sabbath, keep it holy. Don't do any work on the Sabbath because everyone gets to have a rest on that day because God rested on the seventh day. Everyone gets to rest. Slaves, masters, animals, whatever. And so Jesus heals this man, but it's the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees who see this man, Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat. This man's been crippled for decades, right? He's always there. Everyone knows him. Pick up your mat. And off you go. The guy gets up, picks up his mat, off he goes. And the Pharisees see this guy. And what is their response? Is it, wow, God's done something amazing. Look at this. This guy, we see him here every day. He's always crippled. Now he's up and he's walking. What an amazing thing that God's done. No, their response is, you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. Put that mat down. Right, their traditions have become so important to them that... People are no longer the primary thing. The people that those traditions were created to serve are no longer the most important thing. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Living a life according to a lot of rules can often seem to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It's not what walking the narrow path is all about. But it's so tempting for us to walk a path that's familiar to us rather than 
the path that God's putting in front of us, which is far riskier. We don't always know what's coming ahead. We can't always see the way. I had to go to the post office recently to uh, lodge some forms for work. It was a sort of an identification, police check, things like that. We have to do that every now and then. And so I took all my forms in there with me. I filled out my online thing, whatever you had to do. Took all my identification. And I went in there and I said, look, here's my stuff. Can we get this signed off? And the woman at the counter, you know, started typing in some stuff. And then she said, hmm, that's never a good sign, right? <laughs> when they say, hmm. It turns out that your number on your form is from an older version of the form. And so we can't actually process it in the system. And I said, but look, I've got everything I need, right? Everything's here. Let's just, let's just get this done, right? And she said, look, um, it won't let me do it. I'm sorry. The computer won't let me do it. The system won't let me do it. And so not only did I walk out of the post office having not done the job that I came there to do, now I had more jobs because I had to go and contact the people who had given me the other form in the first place. Bureaucracy, huh? <laughs> Bureaucracy. You know, sometimes we can be bureaucratic in our relationship with God. Sometimes God wants to say to us, look, the, the path is going up this mountain or the path is going down into this dark valley. Come on. I've got everything we need. We can do it. And we say, hmm, you know, that's not the way I do things, God. I'm not used to doing things. That, I'm actually not comfortable with doing it that way. Maybe, you know, give me some time, I'll think about it. Maybe I can come up with another way around. And so rather than walking the straight path, the narrow path, we end up walking one of those roped-off queues that just, you know, back and forth. And we're spending a lot of energy doing this. We look like we're doing a lot of stuff, right? But we're not actually getting any closer to our destination. Our intentions are good, but we're straying from the path. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. So walking the narrow path is not about following a bunch of rules and traditions. So what is it about then? What does Jesus mean about this narrow path? Well, he gives us a hint at the start of his Sermon on the Mount. This is towards the end of that sermon. At the start of the sermon, he says... I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Which is a very Jewish way of referring to everything that God has been doing before with his people. God gave the law to Moses. He gave us the prophets to bring us back on the path. Everything that God's been doing, I have come to fulfill that, says Jesus. Jesus says, I am the path of life. Which sounds like blasphemy. To his hearers back then. You are the path of life. No, the path of life is walking according to the wisdom of God. Yes, says Jesus, I am the wisdom of God. No, the path of life is walking according to God's word. Yes, says Jesus, I am God's word. No, the path of life is walking in the ways of God. Yes, says Jesus, I am the way. Jesus doesn't say, I know the way, I can see the way. He says, I am the way. Yeah. 
Walking the narrow path means giving allegiance to only one, Jesus. That's what it means to walk the narrow path. That's what it means to enter through the small gate, to give our loyalty, our allegiance to only him, which is extremely offensive to our culture. It was extremely offensive to the Greco-Roman culture back in the first century as well. They were completely confused by Christians. As the church spread throughout the Roman Empire, they didn't know what to make of these Christians because you want to worship Jesus, fine, go ahead. Hey, I'll celebrate your worshipping of Jesus. But what do you mean that you're not also going to worship these other gods that we've got? What do you mean that you're not going to worship Caesar? In our culture, of course, it's not other idols and Caesar. It might be other value systems or whatever it might be. If only Christians would stop insisting that Jesus is the only way, the world would have no problem with Christianity. But why do we keep insisting on it? Because it's what Jesus says. Jesus is the gate. You know, the ultimate good in our culture is individual autonomy. Who are you to tell me that? There's only two paths and I have to take this one narrow path. There's infinite paths and they all lead to the same destination. Anyone actually making that claim, it it sounds like a very sort of tolerant thing to say, a very humble thing to say even. Who's to say whose paths are right? They all lead to the same destination anyway. Actually, that's about the most arrogant claim you can make because in saying that, what they're saying is, I can see the destination of all of these different paths and I can see that they all end up in the same place. Well, I want to tell you that I don't know where all paths end up, okay? There's only one who knows where all paths end up. It's Jesus. And what he says is, there's two paths. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. And there's only one way to walk this narrow path, and that is by following me. There's no other way to walk the path of life apart from following Jesus. But that's not to say that we always do it perfectly. Of course we don't. Sometimes we, all we can say is the same thing that, that the guy that Jesus encountered who had the sick child, and he said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes all we can say is, Jesus, I want to obey. Help my disobedience. I'm willing to follow Help my unwillingness. And he does. He does. Because God doesn't have a list of standards that he needs us to meet in order for us to access this gate, to walk the narrow path of life. What he has is a purpose for his creation. And he wants us to join in with that purpose. But it requires something of us. It requires us to submit to him, to surrender to him, to give allegiance to him. That's what we have to do in order to join in with him in this purpose. All right, something else about the narrow path. Maybe when, I, maybe when I read those words, let me read them again. Maybe you have a picture in your head. You know, metaphors are supposed to generate imaginary pictures in our head. That's the purpose of them, so that we can relate them to something concrete. When Jesus says... Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, 
and only a few find it. What picture do you have in your head of walking that narrow path? Maybe some of you have got a picture of like a mountain pass with chasms on either side. Maybe some of you have got a picture of a small trail that sort of winds its way through a forest. None of those are wrong, right? It doesn't really matter. But I think there's probably one thing that most, if not all of us, have in common when we picture this in our minds, us walking the narrow path, is that we picture ourselves walking this path alone. We're on our own walking this path. Where do we get that idea from? Jesus never says that. In fact, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about loving God and loving your neighbour. How can we bring life to people around us? How can we live in a way that helps people to stay on this path of life? We're not walking this path alone. We're walking it together. But it's a narrow path. So what does that mean? It means we've got to walk closely together. Right? Walking closely together, we can keep each other on the path. We can hold each other on. Someone's falling behind, hey, come on, we're not going to leave anyone behind. Someone's wandering off, hey, come on, the path's this way. Right? We are walking this path together. But you know the thing about walking closely together? Sometimes we're going to bump into each other. Sometimes Martin's going to give me an elbow in the ribs or I'm going to step on Shane's feet. Right? Are we going to... It was an accident. Yeah, sure. It's happened too many times, man. Are we going to focus on those things? Or are we going to lift our eyes and look to the one that we're following down this path of life? Because, you know, we can walk along the path and just we're just looking at our own feet, right? We're just making sure... I'm making sure I stay right in the middle of this path, you know, and someone, someone else, meanwhile, is sort of wandering off a bit. We're walking this path together and we're called to help each other to stay on this path, to stay loyal to Jesus, to stay, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Where are you looking? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says, if we gaze at the road instead of at him who goes before, we are already straying from the path. We don't want to keep our eyes fixed on the path. We want to lift our eyes and look to Jesus. When that attitude takes over of, well, at least I'm staying in the centre of the path and the rest of you, who cares, right? I'm making sure I stay right in the centre. When that attitude takes over in our lives, we've already wandered off the path and we don't even know it. So this is what it really means to walk the path of life, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, remember that story I told before about the Labyrinth movie? She had these two doors and she had to solve a riddle to get through. Well, there's not a riddle that we can solve to get through these doors, but there is a riddle that needs to be solved in order for us to get through this small gate onto the narrow path. And here's the riddle. How can God destroy sin without destroying his world which is absolutely infested with sin. How can God be both just and merciful at the same time? And we have no answer to this riddle. We have no ability 
at all to answer this riddle. But thank God that there is an answer. And the answer is not a theological doctrine. The answer is not a philosophical idea. The answer is a person. The answer is Jesus. God became part of his creation, hopelessly infected by sin, and took into himself all the power of sin and death. And then he died. And so did the power of sin and death. But three days later, Jesus was resurrected. And he is alive. The power of sin and death, that is still buried in the ground. But Jesus is alive. We fix our eyes on a risen Savior. Leaving behind the power of sin and death. That's got no hold over us anymore as we walk this path of life. That's got nothing to say to us. It's dead in the ground. He solved this riddle on our behalf. And Jesus is now everything on this path. He is the gate that we go through to get to the path. He is the path that we walk on. He's the shepherd that brings us to the gate. He's the rest that we find on the other side. He is in and through and around us. He's the destination that we're heading towards. He's the strength that keeps us going. Jesus is everything on this path. And you know, the ironic thing about the narrow path that leads to life is that as we walk along this narrow path, it actually opens up to amazing possibilities that God has in store for us. It gets wider and wider as we walk it with possibilities that we couldn't even have imagined when we started down this path. The broad road that leads to destruction, that gets narrower and narrower and narrower until finally, at the end, there are no possibilities left. But the narrow path just opens up a world of possibilities, things that God is going to do in our life. So last week, we brought our dreams and plans and visions to God. And we believe in faith that some of those things are going to come to pass. Why do I say some of those things? Wouldn't it take more faith to believe that all of those things are going to come to pass? No, because... Some of the things that we are dreaming for now, some of the things that we are planning for now, God has got things on the path for us which far exceed anything that we are thinking of right now. Anything that we are dreaming of, anything that we would dare to ask for right now, God has got possibilities in store for us that are just so much bigger than that. And we're going to see them. Stay on the path. You'll see things come true. As Paul says... In Ephesians, our God is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. We have a God who will just open up worlds of possibilities to us as we walk the path of life. So what possibilities is God opening up in your life? Let me ask the team to come back up. Every Sunday, we like to give a chance for people to respond to this same question. This same, this, it's exactly the same question, phrased in a lot of different ways. Jesus presents it in a lot of different ways, and we do here at our church. But these two paths, any time 
is the right time to choose the path of life. If you haven't been on this path, if you know that you've either never got onto this path or you've wandered off the path, Jesus constantly, continually offers that invitation for us to come. Come to the gate. I am the gate. Come, walk on this path. I will go ahead of you. I'm around you. I'm with you. I'm for you, says Jesus. So let's bow our heads as I pray. But if you want to respond to that this morning, if you've never entered through that gate, if you've never surrendered your dreams and plans to visions if you, to Jesus, if you've never stepped foot on that path of life, it's a great time this morning to do it. Father, I thank you that you're here with us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are around us and in us and through us, that you lead us on to the destination that you've got for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us the church, our brothers and sisters, so we can walk this path together. And if there's anyone who wants to respond to that right now, I'm just going to give you a minute right now. If you want to raise your hand so I can see, it's a great time for celebration. Any time anyone chooses to change paths, to change where they're heading towards, change their destination, it's a great time of celebration. So let me just give you a few moments now. If anyone wants to raise their hand, And let me also give a chance for people who want to respond to something I've said this morning or something that they've felt the Spirit saying to them during the sermon or the service as a whole. Come forward for prayer afterwards. If you feel like you've wandered off the path, maybe you feel like you can't even see the path anymore. We're walking this path together. We are here to help you, just like you're here to help me when I wander off the path. Come forward and we'll pray together. We'll keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So if there's anyone who wants prayer after the service, please come forward. Don't go home wishing that you had come forward for prayer. But let me pray now to close the service. Jesus, we look to you as we go on this year with our theme of look. We want to walk this path and we want to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. We're so easily distracted. Father, we pray for unity in our church. We pray that as we walk this path together, that Lord, your spirit would create unity in us, that there would be no man left behind. Jesus, we thank you that the invitation is always open for us to enter through this gate and walk the path that leads to life. And we thank you for the opportunities and the possibilities that you are opening up in front of us as we walk this path. Amen.